0: We just sang to spread abroad the earth the honor of Jesus' name. And we were at the Shepherds' Conference last week, and we were getting reports from missionaries and pastors from Ukraine. And a missionary had an interesting perspective. Evidently, some Christians in Ukraine are called to remain, and praise God, there's a need there. And Ukraine is known as the Bible Belt of Europe. Most of Europe is non-Christian, as we know. And those who are leaving Ukraine, who who feel led to leave, the perspective is this, that God is spreading the gospel throughout Europe. So although none of us like this war happening, as we're studying on Providence, You can see how God's providential hand is moving to accomplish His goals, to establish His kingdom, to spread His kingdom, to have lost sinners come to Christ. And perhaps for somebody in Europe, this may be the greatest thing that happens in a a situation that none of us would have chosen. Amen? So God knows. God sees the big pictures from beginning to end. He knows what He's doing. Life is 99% ordinary. It's ordinary. It's normal. Most of life that's lived out is in a mundane fashion. Many of us, if not all of us, wake up early in the morning. We brush our teeth, have some food. We go to work or turn on the computer to get to work now, some of us. And we eat lunch at midday, most of us, and then we get home. And then we eat dinner, maybe we'll watch something on the television, maybe we'll read something, and then we go to bed to do it all over again. Life is pretty much like that. For the most part, life is ordinary. And that's where our focus should be, really. Being faithful in the ordinary things of life. Because that's where we just serve the Lord in a consistent manner. However, providence will have that some days are a little bit extraordinary we know this some days are extraordinary and these are pivotal moments that hinge our life one way or the other these are big decisions that we have to make or perhaps we see an opportunity and if we make that decision our life is going to be different from that point on it's going to be a new normal a new ordinary so to speak i mean some things that come to mind is you know do i marry this person that i've been seeing for some time do i actually do that that's going to change your life your course your destiny as you know now do i change careers i've been doing something for 15 years now do i go into something before i get run out of time you know do i perhaps move to a different country to be a missionary do i go to china these are big decisions that will make your life completely different and there is a commitment that takes place in the risk. And ordinary is not very risky, doesn't feel risky, but making these big decisions feels risky. And there is providence in the risk. And when providence is moving, we need to be able to recognize that as Christians. I think that's one of the key elements. When any man or woman who's in Christ has clear spiritual vision, we're able to make decisions more clearly and more confidently. When we're able to see the invisible hand of God moving in our lives. And just quite frankly my observance is that many Christians are not very confident in making these type of decisions. Many Christians are more comfortable just in the ordinary things. But I believe as Christians we need to be able to recognize God's invisible hand moving in our lives. Just so we're able to Walk in confidence and be faithful in what God has called us to do. Now today in Ruth 3, we're going to see how Naomi decides to act. This is is a pivotal moment in the life of Naomi and Ruth. Boaz too, where the ordinary gets risky. And This is why this sermon title is called Providence in the Risk. Just a little bit of review as you turn to Ruth chapter 3. Two widows from Moab. They go under tragedy, they lose their husbands, they lose everything, and they decide to move back to Bethlehem at harvest time. And then Ruth was faithful in the ordinary things, as we've seen. She b- decided to glean, to support her mother-in-law, and she did it week after week, day after day, for about three months during the harvest, the barley harvest. And then that's where she experiences the favor of Yahweh, God of Israel. And she happens to stumble upon Boaz's field. And through that, Boaz happens to show Yahweh's kindness to her. As, she, as he treats her as if she belongs. A foreigner, a widow, a poor widow. And during this time, Naomi is in the darkest moments of her life. Losing her husband, losing her, uh, her sons. Her only two sons, the Bible says. Providence is beginning to be unveiled in her eyes. So she's starting to see the light. She's starting to come out of this dark moment that she's been in. She's starting to see God's grace in Providence. Not only is God sovereign, she always believed that, but now she's starting to see the goodness and grace of God in providence. Perhaps that's where you're at right now. And this is where we pick up the story of Ruth chapter 3. So read it along with me if you can. Ruth chapter 3, and I'm just going to read through the chapter and then start preaching here. Okay, then Naomi, her mother in law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? Now is not Boaz our kinsman, with whose maids you were. Behold, he winnows barley at the threshing floor tonight. Wash yourself, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your best clothes, and go down to the threshing floor. But. Do not make yourself known to the man unless he has finished eating and drinking. It shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies, and you shall go and uncover his feet and lie down. Then he will tell you what you shall do. She said to her, All that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law had commanded her. When Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. And she came secretly and uncovered his feet and lay down. It happened in the middle of the night that the man was startled and bent forward. And behold, a woman was lying at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your maid. So spread your covering over your maid. For you are a close relative. Then he said, may you be blessed of the Lord. May, my daughter, you have shown your last kindness to be better than the first by not going after young men, whether poor or rich. Now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you whatever you ask. For you, for all my people in the city know that you are a woman of excellence. Now, it is true that I am a close relative. However, there's a relative closer than I. Remain this night when morning comes, if he will redeem you, good, let him redeem you. But if he does not wish to redeem you, then I will redeem you, says the Lord, as the Lord lives, lie down until morning. So she lay so she lay at his feet until morning and rose before one could recognize another, and he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Again he said, Give me the cloak that is on you and hold it. So he held, so she held it, and he measured six measures of barley and laid it on her. Then she went into the city. When she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did it go, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done for her. She said, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said, Do not go to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then she said, Wait, my daughter, until you know how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest until he has settled it today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your holy and precious word. I pray your spirit will allow me to preach your word faithfully. I pray your spirit will allow our eyes to see the greatness of who you are and how you work in your providence. So thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So let's jump right into it. Okay, let's jump right into it. This brings us to scene number 1. Scene number 1 is the open doors of providence. Now Naomi takes her place as she has been as she's been thinking for about 3 months of how can we take advantage of this situation? I need to take care of you, Ruth. You've committed to following me into Bethlehem, and I need to take care of you. I feel responsible for you. I don't want you to end up like I have ended up. And as Naomi's been seeing the goodness of God through Boaz to Ruth, her eyes are starting to be opened up to God's goodness. And like I said, she has spent three months during this harvest time to figure out what she is called to do. So let me read... Verse 1, then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to my daughter, shall I not seek security or rest for you, that it may be well with you? I believe that Naomi had a genuine love and care for Ruth. I mean, I believe she even felt responsible for her. She calls her my daughter, right? I mean, this is uh, uh, the words of a caring mother. I mean, she's her only family, and it was customary for Jewish parents to find spouses for their children, so this is very customary on what, why she would want this to happen. And verse 2, she goes on to say, Now, isn't Boaz or kinsman or relative? Right? Isn't he a goel, like as uh, Ruth 2 says? A goel or a kinsman redeemer? Uh, I like that translation for goel, goel kinsman redeemer. A kinsman redeemer we had many roles in the Jewish life, as we learned about last week. A, a goel or a kinsman redeemer will redeem land that was lost for a relative. A goel or a kinsman redeemer would be able to execute justice to avenge for relatives who were mistreated. A goel or a kinsman redeemer would perform a leverage, marriage, meaning you would marry a a relative's widows to take care of her, right? And so there's there's various things that a goel or a kinsman redeemer was expected to do in Israel. This is how God will care for widows. I mean, this is what it is. And so Naomi must have been wondering, Boaz has been so kind to us. I mean, he's gone above and beyond, and he's a kinsman redeemer. Why has he not acted? already. It's been three months. There's no hint of him showing any interest in that. He, This is what he's about to do. Ruth, it's time to act. All right. Ruth, it's time to act. And she says in verse two, behold, he's winnowing barley at the threshing floor tonight. It's time. Naomi sees a partial door opened up. She knows that he's a kinsman redeemer. He knows where he's going to be. He knows that he's going to be in a good state of mind as, 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 as Israel has come out of the famine and they have, he's reaped a great harvest. He knows that after winnowing, he's able to relax and eat and unwind. So Naomi, the older sister, would kind of just see an opportunity. And does she just wait for the door to get wide open? I don't think so. She decides to give it a nudge, obviously, here. And to open the door wide open. And she comes up with a plan. But the plan needs to have careful instructions. This is not just an everyday routine thing like we talked about earlier. This is going to be a bit extraordinary. So she tells them, hey, wash up. Anoint yourself. Put on some new clothes. These are big instructions now. Commentators think that uh, Ruth was wearing her widow's clothes this whole time. And she was dressed as a widow, looked like a widow, acted like a widow. And keep in mind, Ruth is an honorable woman, and she wanted to respect Naomi's son who died. And she she was mourning during this time. So Naomi perhaps would have said to her, Hey, Ruth, it's time now. It's time now. Wash up. Put the signal out that you're going from mourning into normal life. Ruth, it's time now for you to send a different message to Boaz. Because Boaz would have seen her in a different way. The caliber of man that Boaz is, okay, she's mourning. I'm going to leave her alone. So Naomi gives her daughter-in-law just some good advice here. And also this, keep this in mind. Mahalon was Naomi's son who died. This was Ruth was married to her son. And now Naomi's actually blessing her. Hey, now it's time. Think about how that might have felt for Ruth. Okay, okay, I got you. And she blesses her. She frees her to go find a man. I mean, this is a significant moment in uh, Naomi and Ruth's relationship in that moment. So she says, go down to the threshing floor. And and Naomi knew that what the the landowner would be doing. Boaz would have been treading the grain, treading, and finishing up his harvest. But he says this to, she says this to Ruth. Ruth, the man has a lot on, her mind, lot, lot on his mind. Let him get his work done first, right? Sisters, you know what I'm talking about. Make sure he's in the right frame of mind before you approach her. Have him unwind first. Let him eat. Let him be in a good state of mind and then enter into the situation. Timing is everything, my daughter, right? And so there's careful planning that takes place. And he says this, it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies, and you shall go and uncover his feet and lie down. Then he will tell you what you shall do. Wow, what a plan, right? Right? Ruth, what's Ruth's response? Okay, Naomi, I'll do exactly what you told me to do. Now, if you, even in the reading of the scripture, or even as as I'm retelling this, do you feel kind of a, a, have a thought in your mind? Like, huh, is how wise is this? Well, certainly it was a risky plan. Well, let me give you more context to make you understand how risky it was. I mean, we know this could get out of control real quick. I mean, this is a delicate and dangerous plan, a commentator says. And, and to secure a husband, the perception could look really bad, really bad. Number one, here's a, here's a setting. It's at the threshing floor during winnowing time. And what, would, what men would do is work till night, because that's when the, the winds will blow, and the, that's when the best time to winnow, meaning to separate the grain from the chaff. And they would work till night, they work late, and at the threshing floor is quiet. And prostitutes would come up thinking that they would be able to have some business during that time. This is a place known for when prostitutes would come. Very risky, very risky. Second, it would be culturally awkward what Ruth agrees to do. And even in our culture, this is would be like, oh, what's going on here? First of all, you Ruth is a younger woman. Engaging with Boaz, an older man. Boaz was perhaps in Naomi's generation. Right? He's, an older, he's an older man. He's a different generation. Ruth a Moabitess, a foreigner who's looked down upon in Israel, would be engaging and initiating with Boaz, an Israelite. Ruth, the gleaner, the one who basically picks up what's left over, would be engaging and initiating with the landowner, Boaz. I mean, and even some commentators will suggest that Naomi might have been suggesting Ruth to act immorally. But there's no truth to that. I mean, the text has no mention of immoral intent. It doesn't talk about that. But I I understand where our minds go, even as we read this, right? This is a very provocative portion of Scripture. We understand this. And Naomi has enough conviction to tell the one she loves the most Go do this. Go do this, okay? And I want to ask this to our church family here. If you're in this position, whether you're mom or dad, your best friend, whoever, could you give someone this type of advice with so much on the line when the stakes are extremely high where at any moment things could just explode? Could you do that? Could you do that? Could you do that? And so my question as we think about that in our own minds How did Naomi have so much confidence in such a plan? And I want to take us through this. This is important. I think this is an important portion of Scripture that teaches us how to take advantage of providential open doors, even if it seems risky, even if it seems risky. I think there's a lot to be learned. And as Christians, we need to know how to do this. We need to know how to do this to be as impactful for the kingdom as possible. We've got to know when it's time to take a shot. I mean, we understand what I'm talking about. Life is normally ordinary, but there's moments or spikes in, the, in our lives where we decide to take a shot. Let's turn to Ruth 8, uh, uh, excuse me, chapter 1, verse 1 8. Let me just r- read this. As Naomi is asking the girls to leave and go back home to Moab because she didn't want a hard life for them, verse 8, 1 And keep in mind, Naomi's in her darkened state at this point. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go return each of you to her mother's house. May Yahweh deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. And verse 9, May Yahweh grant that you may find rest, each in the house of her husband. See, it starts with Naomi's prayer life. Naomi was praying a prayer of blessing over the girls. Although she was in a darkened state, Naomi genuinely wanted what's best for her daughter, daughter's-in-law. One, Orpah goes back home to Moab. We never hear from her again. And then Ruth says, no, 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 I'm going to stay with you. But this was Naomi's heart's desire to make sure her girls were taken care of. So whenever we're praying for things, brothers and sisters, we're waiting for an answer, aren't we? I mean, if you're earnestly praying for something right now, aren't you waiting for an answer? Perhaps you'll get the answer in the negative, but when the answer is answered in the positive, don't you notice that? Well, turn it with me to Ruth 2, 20. Chapter 2, verse 20. We're going to spend a lot of time in Ruth here. Look what happens. Boaz shows Ruth kindness, Hesed love, kindness to Ruth in the fields, and she comes back with a huge load of grain. And Naomi, in, in Ruth 2:20, 20, verse 20, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, "May he be blessed of Yahweh, who has not withdrawn his kindness or has said love to the living and to the dead." You see that? Naomi recognizes, Wait a minute, Yahweh actually answered my prayers. He is showing us kindness through Boaz. This is important for us to understand this. Whenever we're praying for something, we're looking for the answer. We're not just praying as if nothing's going to happen, right? As you approach God in prayer, you're kind of praying expectantly. God, you care for me, you love me. What are you going to do with this request? It delights the Father when we come to him in in prayer. And and, Naomi is overjoyed to be able to see how God has responded to her prayers. Think about those times when you've been praying for something and God opens a door or relieves a situation. One of your family members comes to Christ. You get your rent is tough, and then all of a sudden you get a new job or you get a gift in the mail from a relative. Isn't that exciting? You praise God and say, Wow, God, you're so good. But when you pray for it, you actually enter into the providence of God. Where God's going to do what he's going to do anyway. But when you actually pray for it, it takes your level of joy and sanctification to a whole other level. Like, wow, I can see God working in this. It's not some random thing that just took place. So Naomi is super overjoyed. This helps her get out of her spiritual darkness and says, wow, God, you've answered my prayers. But then guess what happens? I'm I'm still out of Ruth two twenty. Again, Naomi said to her, "This is huge now. this links up to the first the second prayer that she prayed in chapter one. The man is our Goel or our kinsman redeemer. He is one of our closest relatives. He is one of our closest relatives. He's our goel, he's our kinsman redeemer. No doubt Naomi remembered her prayer from 1 nine. It says, may the Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. Ding, 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 ding. So whenever you're praying for things, you start connecting the dots. Naomi's able to see, wow, answered prayer, and not only that, okay, Boaz is a kinsman redeemer. Perhaps God will show us redemption through Boaz. There's a trend here. And it starts with Naomi's prayer life. There's a trend. If, if, if you're not praying, brother or sister, you're not going to be able to see these things. Everything else is just going to be random in your life then. All right, random, random, random. But if you're praying, your spiritual eyes, your spiritual ears are heightened, and you're able to see God's invisible hand opening up doors. You're able to hear providence knocking at the door of opportunity. You're able to see these things better and hear these things because you're looking out for these things. This is how God works. This is why he, one of the reasons why he allows us to pray. David Atkinson, a commentator in Ruth, says, By prayer, therefore, we both express our trust in God's providence, meaning you believe that God's in control, and discover how our own wills are to be more aligned with his sovereign and loving will for us. We understand how we fit into the picture when we start praying. In other words, when praying for what's on your heart, you will be alert for any movement towards your request. Answered prayers in a positive. Your awareness is heightened. You see certain circumstances changing. Perhaps this is what's opening up for me. Relationships. You meet new friends. Or relationships that you have, they start speaking to you things and it hits you in a different way. Whoa, whoa, I never talked to you about that. Why are you talking to me about this? I'm sure you've been there before. Different conversations, different opportunities start opening up. And you're able to connect the dots. Okay, I see the picture that perhaps God is painting in my life. I mean, see an example for our church family. I mean, we, we, we're talking about growing and, and we already started this for a Spanish-speaking ministry. Providence was all over this one, guys. I just had a meeting with a couple pastors and and Pastor Kyle Shimazaki, our local outreach pastor from 2007 was talking to us and he goes yeah we're praying to how to reach to the reach out to the community we moved to this site in 2007 providentially and the heart of the pastors the local outreach pastor pastor kyle was to how do we engage with the community so he he started praying and eventually he he church planted uh seeds of life church so we sent him out and then pastor victor takes over pastor victor's been praying how do we reach the community Pastor Victor started praying for a, a, a Spanish-speaking pastor to be a part of our team, to part of us so that we could invite people to us, to our church family. And then I joined the staff in 2017. I read Acts 1:8. My heart gets inflamed. Be witnesses of me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Our J- Jerusalem is right here in La Puente. So I start praying, Lord, how do we do this? How do we do this? In 2019, I'm invited to be part of a pastor's group called the Master's Fellowship. And we have a breakfast right before the Shepherds Conference of 2019. I sit next to some guy. We're eating breakfast, and it's Hugo Torres, and we're just talking. We become friends. We start hanging out at the Shepherds Conference, and we get to know each other over the course of that year. And in 2020, Pastor Hugo Torres joins us as a part-time pastor trying to minister to the uh, surrounding area, different outreach events, and also committing to uh, connect with Don Julian Elementary to even starting a Spanish-speaking Bible study. And providentially, people from our church, Evergreen members, would join these things, whether it's the Spanish-speaking Bible studies, and some of them spoke Spanish, some of them didn't even speak Spanish. I'm like, wow, okay, just to support what's going on. Other uh, outreach events, people are volunteering to be part of what Pastor Hugo is organizing. So I said, "Hmm, I'm starting to connect the dots here, guys." And as a pastor, anytime you do these type of movements, these are big, significant movements that God is doing in our church. I need to know if God's in it. Is this what you want, God? It's first, guided by the Scriptures, Acts one eight, then prayer, then prayer from the past, and then 2022. Leadership of our church, okay, is the budget. We're able to bring Pastor Hugo on full time. This helps connect the dots. And really, I'm serving as senior pastor of our church currently, and I'm just standing on the shoulders of men and women who've been already praying for this, evidently. That gives me a lot of confidence to be able to connect the dots and start to see the picture. Okay, this is the direction, hon, huh, Lord. Start it from Scripture, Acts 1 8, and in prayer undergirded by the prayers of others and then the actions of the saints all that god providing pastor hugo providential meeting with me and we becoming friends i mean this this is kind of how it works can you relate to me church family how have you seen god in this way in your own lives if you haven't you need to start praying more i mean that's what it, what it comes down to prayer is a blessing Prayer basically gives you a spiritual radar to see what's going on in your life and you're able to see the blips more easier when God moves. And blip, blip, blip. You can see and you start connecting the dots. This is how, brothers and sisters, we're able to walk with greater confidence in what God is doing. And really, prayer, and we, we get to uh, uh, talk to other brothers and sisters and ultimately, by, guided by the scriptures, we're able to sort out how to live our lives. It's critical. Too many Christians are passive and, and, and conservative and, and scared, I think. Why? Why do we need to be that? We, we have every resource imaginable. We have God living within us. Jesus said, I'll be with you even to the end. And so going back to the story of Ruth and Boaz, Boaz is sorting out his harvest a little bit more about winnowing, okay, winnowing. I grew up in the city, I don't know what winnowing is. Perhaps none of you in here know that, what that is other than maybe you grew up in the central valley, so you know what winnowing is. But it's, in Israel, in, the, in Bethlehem, it was done in the evening. Why is that? Because that's when the optimal winds were coming through. The winds were necessary to separate the grain from the chaff, the kernel from the chaff. So in essence, the barley will be beaten to separate the, the, the kernel from the, from, the, from the chaff. And the barley will be tossed up. And then the winds will come. And they'll blow out all the dirt, the dust, and the chaff. The things that didn't matter. And then the weight of the grain will ha- cause it to drop on the threshing floor. And that's whatever you gathered is, was your final product. Well, this is where we shift to scene number two here of our story here. The defining moments of providence. Ruth and Naomi had a plan. And Ruth was faithfully going to go execute this plan. But who knows how this is going to turn out? Who knows how this is going to turn out? And verse 6 says this. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law had commanded her. As the winds of providence blew up into the threshing floor, here comes Ruth saying, okay, here goes nothing. And whatever happens with the wind, whatever happens with providence, is what's going to shape Ruth's life for the remainder of her life. This is it. This is the moment of truth. This is the tell the truth moment in Ruth's life. Will she get blown away with the chaff? Will she get treated like some immoral person? Some foreigner, like you're not important. Or... Will she land on the threshing floor? She says, we'll see what happens. This is it. And her life is not going to be the same one way or the other. Verse 7 and 8. Ruth must have been speaking. Man. I'm thinking to herself, I'm so nervous. How's this ever going to work out? How's this ever going to work? I hope Boaz doesn't get the wrong idea. He's an honorable man. I don't want to give him the, give him the wrong impression. Well, here goes nothing. And verse 7 says, she sees him laying down by the heap of grain. And what does she do? She uncovers his feet and lays down next to him. Okay, can you imagine that scene, sisters? Can you imagine doing that? And then verse 8 says, It happened in the middle of the night that the man was startled. He woke up. Some commentators say he got cold feet because the winds were blowing on his feet, uncovered feet. (laughs) Well, will he have cold feet when it comes to Ruth? We'll find out here. And he bent forward and behold, a woman was lying at his feet. And Boaz asks, who are you? Who are you? What's going on here? I go to sleep and I wake up with a woman at my feet. What's going on here? This is odd. Who are you? Well, here's the moment of truth here. Ruth, what would she say? He says, I am Ruth, your maid. I am Ruth, your maid. Which is interesting because she uses her name. She doesn't say, I'm the Moabitess. I'm the widow that came with uh, Naomi. She says, I have a name. I'm a person. My name is Ruth. My name is Ruth. And remember what Naomi told her. What did Naomi tell her to do after he notices her? Wait till he tells you what to do. Well, that's the one direction that Ruth runs through, the through. She, she didn't do, go through with that one. She ran through that stop sign Before uh, Boaz could even answer, what does Ruth say? Spread your covering over your maid. Before she tells him what to do, which is interesting, which is very interesting. Ruth tells Boaz, the established man, what to do. And this word covering is the same word Kanaf in from chapter 2 of of 12, where Boaz says, may the Lord reward your work and your wages be full from from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings, wings and covering, that's the same word, you have come to seek refuge. See, this is important. We understand this. Ruth is basically saying, hey, you prayed that Yahweh will cover me with his wings. I'm telling you, you're the wings of Yahweh since you're the king, my kinsman and redeemer. Cover me. Act on part of Yahweh by marrying me. Do your job, Boaz. Wow. This wasn't part of the plan here, guys. Just want you to know that. This is part of providence. Some, t- some moments you say, did I really say that? <laughs> Did I really do that right now? I was a little bit out of character. Have you had those moments in the good ways, right? For you are a close relative, what she says. You are a kinsman redeemer. Now, by her saying that, by her saying that, what Ruth was saying to Boaz, not only do I want you to marry me, she basically raises up the ante. The stakes are even higher. Before Boaz could even answer, yes, I'll marry you, Ruth, you know what she was doing? She was basically telling him as the kinsman redeemer, you need to redeem the land that was lost to Elimelech, Naomi's husband, dead husband. By her saying that, you know what she was doing? She was was basically making it harder for Boaz to marry her. She was basically saying, redeem the land. In effect, you need to take care of my mother-in-law too. Okay, what happens here is amazing. What happens here is amazing because what Boaz sees here is this. Boaz sees a covenant love relationship between Naomi and Ruth. Ruth is basically saying, I'm not just going to take care of myself. I want to take care of my mother. I promised her where you go, I will go. Where you live, I will live, right? Remember? So this is the moment of truth now. This is the moment of truth. It's all out there now. It's all on the table. All the cards are have been shown now. What what's going to happen? Well, Boaz recognizes Ruth's intent, and he goes. And what he says is, "Your last kindness is better than the first by not going after young men, whether poor or rich. May you be blessed by the Lord." What is Boaz saying? Boaz is saying, Ruth, you could have gone after other men to secure a future. You could have taken care of yourself, but you're also caring for Naomi, your mother-in-law. You are a true Israelite. I don't see you as a Moabite. I see you as an Israelite. Ruth, you're an example of chesed love. You're a woman of committed love. That's what He says, and then the answer he gives now, verse 11, My daughter, do not fear. I will do for you whatever you ask. For all, the, for all my people in the city know that you are a woman of excellence. You see, this was even proving to Boaz even more the type of woman that Ruth was. She already had a good reputation, evidently. People in the city, oh, that's the one that came back to help Naomi. Isn't that great? But, but Ruth is able to demonstrate, not only that, I'm even more than what you thought or heard. You're a woman of excellence. The, the word excellence in the Hebrew is ha'il. And Boaz knew that the winds of providence has blown an incredible gift into his lap, literally onto his feet. And I'm going to turn to Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31, many of us know this, section of a portion of scripture, Proverbs 31, 10 says, is is an excellent wife who can find, this is the same word, an excellent wife who can find, for her worth is far above jewels, the heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain, she does him good and not evil all the days of her life, Boaz knew this is who I found, This is who God has given to me. And he goes, I'm not going to mess this up. I'm going to take full advantage of this situation. And he goes, I know what dropped into my lap. I know know what dropped into my lap. So it's working out great. But the question here is this. How did this crazy plan ever work out? I mean, it's crazy. Who would do this? Who would even think to do something like this? Well, the answer is in Ruth chapter 2, verse 1. Now Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Boaz was called a man of great wealth. But that word great wealth is hail. It's like, say, in other words, I prefer the translation to say Boaz was a man of excellence. This is important that we understand this. Boaz is a man of excellence. Boaz was, a, was the same caliber of person as Ruth. Both of them had excellent character. So how did a plan work? It worked because of providence. Providence shaped each of them individu- individually to be men and women of excellence. Providence would blow their lives together. And mutual excellence was required. Otherwise it would have been a disaster. Let me explain why. For instance, if Boaz wasn't a man of excellence, he would have taken advantage of Ruth. Ruth would have been treated like chaff and she would have been blown away. See you next harvest. If Ruth was not a woman of excellence, there's no way Boaz would have been with her. Boaz was a man in Bethlehem. There's no way I'm going to associate marry someone like you if she lacked character. And if Ruth lacked excellence, there's no way she'd be thinking about Naomi this way. All these things were being presented in this case. So, how did this plan work out? One sure. short Providence, providence. God was shaping two separate lives and God would bring them together in that moment in time. God was doing it. As they lay down there all night long, in the background was a heap of grain. The Bible says that Boaz was laying at the heap of grain, no, no doubt guarding the heap so that thieves and animals wouldn't come and um, take his 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 harvest. And how it worked, the chaff had little substance. It was blown away. The grain had substance, therefore it would fall to the ground. I mean, this is just like, what a picture that God gives us to Ruth here. Just like the grain, both Ruth and Boaz were men and women of substance. That's exactly why they're there, lying there in, in an honorable way. Right next to the heap of grain. And they live happily ever after, right? No, not yet. Not yet. No, they did not live happily ever after yet. There's a wrinkle in the story here. And God, the ultimate story writer, puts in a crisis point. All good stories have a crisis point. We know this. Verse 12, Boaz said, yes, I'll marry you. Hold on now, verse 12. Now it is true. I am a Goel, a close relative, however, There is a goel closer than I, not so fast. We had this moment, but not yet. There's a pecking order. Although this wasn't the typical Leverite marriage, he's an older man, she's a younger woman. There's a pecking order still. But Ruth, at that moment, would have gotten some insight as well, though she would have been thinking to herself, now I can see why Boaz didn't act already. Boaz is just being who he is. He's a man of excellence. He's doing it the right way. He's not going to jump over to order how it's supposed to be. There was someone next in line. That explains it all, why he didn't act in those three months. And then verse 13, Remain this night, Boaz tells her, when morning comes, if he will redeem you, good, let him redeem you. But if he does not wish to redeem you, then I will redeem you. As the Lord lives, lie down into a morning. I can only imagine that now. If, if you're a Boaz man, what would you be doing right there? I'm up all night thinking, how are we going to pull this off? How am I going to get this done? She goes into, he goes into Naomi mode now. <laughs> now he's the one who has to make a plan. I don't know what Ruth was thinking. Like she aspired to thinking, wow, this is incredible how this worked out. But there's one more person. But Boaz must have been thinking, how are we going to do this? And I need to get this done as soon as possible. This takes us to scene three. The waiting moments of providence. The waiting moments of providence. Boaz proves that he is a man of excellence. He treats her honorably. He didn't touch her. She's not his wife. He tells the people, "Okay, don't tell others that Naomi Ruth came to the threshing floor. He covers, he gives, he, he covers her with his wings, provides shade for her, and to protect her reputation. Not only that, he gives her six me, he gives her six measures of barley to take home. And then in verse 16... She gets, She enters into the house with his six measures of barley, and Naomi's probably been waiting. Okay, how's this going to turn out? How'd it go, my daughter, she asked. How'd it go, tell me. I can't wait. Ruth would have said something perhaps it was amazing. I did exactly what you told me to do. I was really nervous at first. But it all worked out. He said yes. But there's a problem. There's somebody else... It, in line. There's another Goel. Naomi miscalculated it. She didn't anticipate this happening. Well, verse 18, then she said, wait, my daughter, until you know how the matter turns out. For the man, Boaz, will not rest until he has settled it today. Wait. What is Ruth supposed to do? Just wait. You've done enough. Brothers and sisters, after praying, after doing what you're called to do, are you able to simply just wait and rest in the Lord? That's what Naomi's saying. Let God handle it. It's Boaz's turn. It's out of your hands now. Let him handle it. And to wait patiently for him. To see what God does. That's where you do your best. Be faithful in what you're called to do in the ordinary, but also in the extraordinary moments, even in the risky moments of life. Be faithful to the Lord and just trust Him for the rest. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Charles Spurgeon, the famous preacher, says this, the sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which the child of God rests his head at night, giving perfect peace. Let me read that again. This is critical that we understand this. Sometimes we shy away from preaching about the sovereignty of God. But Charles Spurgeon says that the sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which the child of God rests his head at night, giving perfect peace. The sovereignty of God, the providence of God, is one of the most comforting doctrines of God because we know God's in control. We don't want to be in control. We just want to do our best and trust God for the results. After all, he's the most powerful. After all, he knows everything. After all, he loves us the most. Trust in God. What a quote. What a quote. And in conclusion, I just want to point out again, the open door that Naomi and Ruth walked through was very risky. We could see that. Just by simple reading of Ruth chapter 3, you can see it's risky and their lives will be changed forever. They'll have a new normal. When you, after you make these type of decisions, your life is not going to be the same. You're going to have a new normal or a new ordinary after this point. But I want to ask you, those of us who are here today, the greatest decision that you make with Christ is the most important decision. Have you walked through the narrow door of salvation, the surest decision that you could ever make? Have you actually done that? As you're sitting here today, as we had a funeral yesterday, we're all reminded that someday this life is going to end for us. Have you walked through the wide open door of salvation, which is narrow? It's narrow because Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Narrow, exclusive. Jesus goes on to say, broad is the gate. Broad is the door. Broad is the road that leads to death and destruction. There are many ways to hell, basically Jesus is saying. But there's only one way to heaven. It's a narrow path. Perhaps you've been here at Evergreen for decades. And the gospel sounds different to you now. Perhaps you're hearing the gospel and you know that your life doesn't match up to this. You even know your affections don't match up to the gospel. At the Shepherds Conference, the final message that we were given, the exhortation we were given... But Pastor John, of all people, says to evangelize your church. Evangelize your church. Jesus said there are plenty of terrors amongst the wheat. Who you're sitting next to, do you know that they're in Christ? I'm not saying you don't like them or love them, but do you know that if, if the ceiling were to collapse on our heads and kill us all right now, that we would all be in the presence of the Lord? Do you know that? Or is this just some ordinary thing that we just do? This is just the routine. We just show up on the Lord's Day to hear a message, and go home, and that's it. There's nothing ordinary about the Lord's Day service. There's absolutely nothing ordinary about the Lord's Day service. Many will say to me, Jesus says, on that day, that day of judgment, Lord, Lord, did we not know you? And they will not enter the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says. Many. And Jesus is talking to religious people. He's not talking to the prostitute down the street. He's talking to the people who will be sitting in the pews here. He was talking to the religious people of the time. Lord, Lord, didn't we do this in your name? Didn't we attend church every week, once a month? Didn't we give to the church? Didn't we uh, uh, join Bible studies? Didn't I even teach a Bible study? Didn't I hang out with churchgoers and made my life exclusive to churchgoers? Didn't I even serve? Didn't I go on mission trips? Didn't I do all these things? God, look what I've done for you! And Jesus says, "Depart from me, you wicked men." I don't know you. There's nothing that we could do to earn God's friendship or favor. Jesus says, depart from you. Depart, you wicked man. Go out into the outer darkness. You don't belong with me. And he's talking to churchgoers here. I'm just reminding us of that fact. Those who are not in Christ are like the chaff. When the winds of judgment come, you'll be blown away, never to be seen again. Matthew 3.12, Jesus says, as he winnows and he separates the wheat and the chaff, the chaff are blown away, gathered up, and thrown into an unquenchable fire. That's judgment. That's eternal judgment. The unquenchable fire means that fire lasts forever. So if you are in Christ and you know that and and, and your people that you're sitting next to are in Christ, you know that. Well, praise God. I'm here to encourage you in that. But if you're not in Christ, this is not a normal moment for you. This is the opportunity of a lifetime. The doors of grace are wide open to you today. The gates of heaven are wide open. You can come marching in and escape divine judgment And after you make this decision, your normal will be completely different. You have a new normal. You'll become a new creation. You'll be reborn. This is what the Bible describes. New birth, rebirth, regeneration. Different. Dead man, living man. Will you secure your destiny today? You don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. You don't know what's going to happen the minute you get into the parking lot. You don't know that. You think you know, but you don't know. And here's the good news Jesus says, All who come to me, I certainly will not cast off. Teenagers, as you're sitting to your parents right now, do you know you're headed towards heaven? This is what I asked the youth when I got to preach to them a couple of weeks ago Do you know you're in Christ just because you're joining a youth group? Doesn't mean that, not- that means nothing. That means nothing. Do you know Christ as your Lord and Savior? Jesus says, repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus says, I know my own, my own know my voice. Do you hear Christ calling out to you right now? You don't see Rocky the preacher, you hear Christ pleading with you to come into the kingdom. By repenting, what that means is you turn away from your sins. You know what you're watching, you know what you're listening to, young and old. You know what you're thinking about, you know what you love the most. I'm going to turn away from these. I'm going to follow you, Jesus, as my Lord and Savior. Because, Jesus, I believe that you're God. I believe that you willingly went to the cross to redeem me, to pay the price of the sins that, and the punishment that I deserve. And I believe that you resurrected from the grave. And I believe you're coming back. And I choose. I give my life to you. I commit to following you. And one of the most dangerous things to hear is this. Jesus loves you and He wants He sa- died to save your sins, period. No, Jesus calls us to repent and follow Him as, a, as our Lord. If Jesus is not Lord of your life, you're not in the kingdom. You'll be one of those saying, Lord, Lord. Jesus came to save you, to bring you to into his kingdom, and we follow the King. His name is Jesus Christ. If that is not you, genuinely, not perfectly, I don't stand before you as a perfect man who's who's done this. But if you're not a genuine follower of Christ, you're not in the kingdom. You're the chaff right now. You need to give your life to Christ. You need to trust in him. And the offer of salvation is absolutely free. This is the day that you take that that decision and you're never the same ever again. You have a new normal and now you have a new destiny with your maker in heaven Isn't that amazing this is the gospel jesus christ is the greatest treasure of all he's my life i want him more than the world in essence that's what christians think how christians think do you want christ more than anything anyone in the world you could love things as long as it's two three four five on down but christ is the undisputed treasure of your life And Christian, if you know there's a tension there, just repent. God has already paid it all for you already. But if you're not a Christian, you need to repent and give your life to Christ today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your providential care for us. Give us spiritual eyes and spiritual ears to see and hear what you're doing. Help us to hear the providential hand knocking on the door of opportunity in our lives. Lord, you are sovereign. You're in control of all things, and we surrender to your sovereignty. Lord, in your sovereign power, I pray that you will call your elect forward today to join the kingdom of heaven, to join the family of God, to enter into the flock of God, to be considered children, friends, family members of you, Lord. In your sovereignty, will you call the elect forward today? That they will repent of their sins and believe in the gospel. That they will give their lives to you, Jesus, as their Lord and Savior. Thank you for the gospel message. Help us understand more of the gospel message, the treasures of it all. That Jesus, you are Lord. And help us to faithfully, more genuinely follow you as our Lord and Savior. Jesus, you own us. Jesus, we thank you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.